welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good evening. My name is Gabriel Medina, and I wanted to start out by asking you guys a question. Have you guys ever went to a certain part of your house to go get something, only to find out that you forgot what you went there for? Or, you know, something else similar happens to me with Lydia. We'll be in our bedroom and I'll go, oh, I'll go clean the living room because the kids made it a mess and it's just horrible. Toys everywhere. And I'll go, I'm going to go clean the living room. Only for her to find me 10, 15 minutes later, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce just playing with toys, you know, not cleaning the living room. And she's like, what are you doing? And I say, I don't know. And I forget the purpose that I was supposed to have what I was doing, I just forgot, totally forgot what I was supposed to be doing, and I'm just sitting there playing with little toys. And that's a true story, by the way. I hope you guys like playing with dragons. I'm like, just get distracted. I'm like, wait, what was I supposed to be doing again? I'm just playing with toys, race cars. And the reason why I say that, those two situations, is because I feel like a lot of us have become sidetracked this year. 2020 has just sidetracked us, made us took a rabbit trail Instead of the zeal that we had, the, the pursuit we had in God, we got sidetracked by 2020. If God was, was to come to us and say, what are you doing? A lot of us, if we're honest, would have to say, I don't know. And we would be sitting there twiddling our thumbs, maybe not playing with toys, but maybe we watched too much news. Maybe we watched too much entertainment. Whatever it was, what did we get sidetracked by? And what have we been basically blinded by? And so the reason why I wanted to do this message today, as we enter into a new year, to help us to refocus on the gospel and the forgiveness that the gospel brings and the the implications that the gospel has on our lives. And as we enter 2021, we can enter it encouraged, motivated, and forgiven. And as we experience the forgiveness that God has for us, no matter where we were, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, we can walk in that forgiveness and actually be the lights that God calls us to be and benefit the culture that he has us in. Amen? And so the passage that we're going to be in is 1 John chapter 1. So if you guys can turn there, 1 John chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the day that you've given us. I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to all of us. That no matter the aches and pains, the ailments, the trials, the frustrations that we've had this year, you have brought us through. And we do get to see your righteous right hand guiding us and holding us and taking care of us. You know, some of us maybe lost jobs, yet you have provided for us. How much more will you take care of us? If you take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will you take care of us whom you love and whom you've called to yourself? And so I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your faithfulness. Help us today as we read your word, be blown away by your faithfulness, your grace, and your kindness through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's done in his life and death to grant us access to you, to a relationship with you. 
And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for you making those things real to us and always calling us back through, through who you are. So I ask, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do today, tonight. Fill me up. Fill us all up. Open our eyes. Open our minds. Open our hearts to be able to see the richness of your grace and your kindness in our Lord Jesus and the great hope that you have laid up for us. Please, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We believe in you. Please work through us. Work through your word. Let me just be a conduit for your grace. We love you, Lord. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. Praise things in your name. Amen. So, we're going to be reading all of 1 John chapter 1 and then the first verse of 1 John chapter 2. But before I do that, I want to give you guys kind of a preface. So John is writing this book because a few false teachers have crept into the church and they're spewing lies about the Father, the Son, and salvation. And so he's going to be correcting those things. And it's weird that I would say that because I don't believe that there's any false teachers here. I don't believe there's any false doctrine that's getting spewed or taught by anybody. But I do know one truth is that there's false teaching that goes on through our culture all the time. And these false teachings that we're going to see in 1 John chapter 1 happen sometimes outside of us, but a lot of times even within our own hearts. The flesh that clings so closely to us sometimes teaches false doctrine to us. And so I think though we don't have any false teachers teaching false doctrine here in this church explicitly, I do think that these errors are going to be helpful to exploit even tonight for us as we enter into the next year. Make sense? And so let's go ahead and read it. First John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. So what we're going to be looking at tonight, we're just going to work through three basic questions is why is John writing this or why is John preaching and teaching this to the people? And then what is the message that he's bringing to them? 
And then how can we live out, walk in that message? So why is he writing it? What is it that he's writing? What's the message? And then how do we go about living out that message? How do we walk in the light? And so first one, we're just going to be starting in verses 1 through 4. We're going to kind of take it all together. And as we read it again, listen to the eyewitness account that he gives. He gives three senses in this passage. So he's not only just an eyewitness, he's not only seen it, but he's also heard it, and he's also dealt with it and touched it. So let's look at that real quick, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, talking about the gospel, Jesus, his birth, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but he repeats that multiple times. He's like, I've seen it, I heard it, I've touched it. I've seen it, I heard it, I've seen it, I heard it. Did you notice that? And the reason why he's doing that is because these false teachers are proclaiming that they know Christ, that they know truth, but they've never even met him. They don't know him. John is saying, man, I've actually, I didn't only see it, but I heard it and I actually touched it. This eternal life that I'm talking about, who is actually Jesus Man, John, if you guys remember, in John chapter 13, he's the, the disciple that actually even laid on Jesus, his head on Jesus' chest. I'm, I'm pretty sure none of you guys done that to someone you don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure he knows Jesus well, and he's actually using that as an argument to give him credibility. He's like, these false teachers do not know Jesus, don't know the truth. Trust me, because I've seen it, I've heard it, and I've even touched him. Isn't that cool? And he repeats it multiple times, even in that short little intro. And then he gives us the reason why he's proclaiming this to us, this message to us. Verse 3. So why is he writing this? That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then the second reason and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So why is he writing it? One, so that we can have fellowship with the believers and with the Father and the Son. And then in doing that and in having that, it would complete, he says, our joy. Some of your guys' translations might say your joy. I want to break this down real quick. Don't get too heady, but in the Greek they have this compilation, you know, they, they compiled all these letters, these copies of this letter, and in half of them, it said our joy, and in the other half, it said your joy. And so in the ESV study Bible, at least, what they say, the reason why they put our is because it includes not only the apostles, but also everybody within the faith. And so it's kind of cool. So he's saying we're writing this thing for everybody's joy, everybody's joy that believes in Jesus so that their joy may be complete. And notice that this complete joy only comes from having fellowship with God, with the Father, with the Son, and with his people. And I think it's really cool because he doesn't say, I'm writing this thing so you can have salvation. 
I think that's how we kind of talk. But he says salvation is fellowship. To be saved from our sin, forgiven and cleansed, is actually to have fellowship with God. What would be the point if we just got forgiven of all of our sins and were just left alone? But God does it for a purpose. He forgives us of all of our sins, cleanses us from all of our guilt, all of our shame. For, for what purpose? To actually have us and to dwell with us and to commune with us. And in so doing, that we would commune and have fellowship with one another. Isn't that cool? So we are made right with God vertically and then made right with one another and united with one another horizontally. And that's why I think when we meet other believers, there's a certain tie there. Have you guys ever felt that? Man, you might not have anything else in common except the faith in our Lord Jesus and you guys feel closer than ever. And it's the grace of our Lord that he ties us together through his spirit and through the truth of the gospel because he gives us fellowship through that. Amen? And so why is he preaching this? Why is he writing this to us? So that we may have fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son, and then so that our joy may be complete. Okay? And so now the second thing, what is he actually preaching? What's the message that he's bringing? Look at verse, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Isn't that interesting? He just says, you know, this is the message we got from Jesus, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And what's interesting about this statement is there's no record of Jesus actually saying that, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But what I think John is doing here is actually giving a comprehensive statement to basically summarize the teaching of our Lord on God, that God is like, that this is basically the most comprehensive statement that he could have gave for us to understand who God is, just compact, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so it's kind of cool because, you know, light is pure, light is holy, light is gives life. Light also reveals. Light gives truth, and God is all those things. God is holy. God is pure. God brings life. God reveals himself and also us, and he's all truth. Isn't that good? So it's kind of cool that he's just basically compacting the message of Jesus, the gospel, into this one statement that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And then because of this, there's certain implications that come from it. So now, what is the message that he's preaching? That God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And then now, how, lastly, how do we live out this message? What are the implications for our lives in this message? How do we walk in the light as he is in the light? And this is where we're going to mainly just park at. We're going to look at the rest of the verses Looking at this, how do we live out this message? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. How do we enter into that fellowship with the Father, the Son, and with everybody? And this section, what he starts to do, it's pretty cool. He gives three statements from the false teachers that they were spewing during this time. And after each statement, he contradicts it, either says it's a lie, they're deceived, or something like that. And then he combats it with the truth. 
And so that's what we'll see. We're just going to be walking through that. So the first statement, let's look at it. So let's start in verse 5. Just read the whole thing. So verse 5, going through verse 6, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then here's line number one. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so one thing to notice is these false teachers, it seems like they're just talking. Instead of actually living out what they talk, they're just talking. And the way I know that is because look at, so every other verse is a lie from them. So look at verse 6, if we say, then look at verse 8, if we say, and then look at verse 10, if we say. Each one of those is the start of the false teaching. And so the first one we see, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So these false teachers were literally saying, we have fellowship with God who is light, and then not living as light, not being honest, basically probably lying about their sin. Because to walk in the light is to be honest about sin. And we'll see that later throughout the other lies. And then look at how he combats it, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So if we say we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness, we're liars. But if we walk in the light, it gives us two benefits. Did you see it? But if we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it's interesting because if you were to talk to anybody about, like, what does it mean to walk in the light? I think what we first go to is perfection. What we first go to is, oh, that means a pure life, purity, holy, perfect. Don't you get that feel? But I think, I think that's a part of it that he is saying, because to walk in the light, God is holy, God is pure. As Christians, to walk in the light, yes, is to pursue a life of godliness, of holiness, of righteous living, obedient to the Father. And that is walking in the light. But walking in the light also seems to be being truthful for who we are, being a sincere person. Because throughout this section, he calls out people who say they have no sin. And he says to walk in the light. And then later he says, confess our sins. When we sin, we'll be forgiven. If it meant perfection, there would be no forgiveness because we would have to be perfect. But what walking in the light truly is, yes, it's holiness, purity, pursuing perfection, But walking in the light is a person who is who he is because of what Jesus has done. A person who is walking in the light as he is in the light has nothing to hide. And I think this year has shown me the most as I've interacted with a lot of people. This year we've we've hid ourselves. One, literally, you know, some of us are isolating ourselves. But two, I think a lot of us have moved away from community and have, have been just wasting away. It says in, I think it's Psalm 51, he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. 
Because to walk in the light is to be an honest person. To walk in the light is to be truthful about who you are, that we are not good enough, that we cannot make it, but that we need grace, that we need forgiveness from God. And no matter who you are this year, no matter if it was hard for you or not, or if you had zeal, you were walking in the light, we still failed. We still sin, and we need that forgiveness entering into this new year. We need that forgiveness. We need that grace on our lives to move forward every day. No matter who you are, if you're honest with yourselves, you have to admit that because that's what it means to be walking in the light as he is in the light. We need to be honest about who we are. And it's really cool because I've learned that from our pastor Sabo. He was the one that planted Cove Grace French Valley. He would always say that. He said, I can tell you my sins because I know my sins have been forgiven completely by God. That blew my mind. How honest he was able to be because of the grace that he experienced through our Lord Jesus. He showed me what it was like to be a man that walked in the light as God was in the light. Being totally unashamed about who he was because he knew he was totally forgiven. And so I would just encourage us, as we enter in this new season, this new year, Maybe make it a New Year's resolution to be more honest. Maybe there's a certain specific sin that you're even thinking about. Make it a New Year's resolution to confess to one person. And maybe make it a New Year's resolution to get a good buddy, good friend, to actually have that space to confess your sins to and to have him help you, pray for you. And I'm witness that that is probably the best thing that you could do for yourself. Lydia, when I'm struggling, she'll go, text this person or text this person. She knows the people that I run to outside of her. And she sees them as a huge benefit for not only our marriage, but also just me as a person, as a Christian. So let us be people who are walking in the light, being sincere about who we are because of the grace of our Lord. Because as we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. That's just not a forgiveness. That's actually taking out the stain. Because the gospel is good news in two ways. It not only forgives us of all of our sin, but it actually grants us freedom from the power of sin so that we can get up and walk in forgiveness. Amen? And I just want to let you guys know, this message is going to be very repetitive, and I'm fine with that because I think I just want to beat in that we're forgiven. So it's going to be super repetitive and just deal with it. All right. So the next false statement, statement number two. Look at verse eight. So he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So notice the first one was if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The second false statement is a little bit more severe. He says, if we have no sin, now we're actually self-deceived and the truth is not in us. So the first one, if we say we walk in light, but we're not, we're liars. You know, and then this one, if we say we have no sin, like we're actually clean now, we're good, we don't sin. He's saying, you're actually self-deceived. And he says, the truth is not in us. And then he contradicts it and combats it with the truth. He says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's that word again. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, again, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even John here is beating it into our heads. He's just repeating it again. And it's cool because the claims, the false claims get more and more severe, yet the grace is still there every single time. It's really cool. So it's like, you're a liar. You're actually self-deceived. And then the next one's really harsh. He says that he, calling God a liar. But each time there's cleansing and there's forgiveness for those who have sinned. Isn't that cool? And so he combats it with, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the last one, let's look at the last statement. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this one sounds very similar as the second one. So the first one, you know, you're a liar. You say you walk, but you're not. The second one, if we say we have no sin, we're self-deceived. And then this last one is just slightly different. It says, if we say we have not sinned, past tense. And he says, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us. It's the strongest one of them all, the most severe of all three of them. And what that one's saying is not that we're good now, but that we've actually never sinned from birth. We don't have any, basically, sin bent in us. Isn't that crazy that these false teachers are saying that? And I know that, again, there's no false teachers here, but how many... How many of us have heard that in our own culture through movies, through self-help stuff, through other religious teachings that we are actually good from the beginning? We have something within us to be good enough. And he says, if you say that, that you've not sinned, you actually make God a liar because God's word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if that's true, you know, what they're saying can't be true. But if what they're saying is true, then God's not true. And John's saying, you're making God a liar. You're calling God a liar. And his word is not in you. It's the strongest claim. But then what's really cool, John gives another reason why he's writing this and then tells his listeners, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When I first started studying 1 John, and when I first started interacting with people about 1 John, 1 John is usually used as a tool to tell people to be better. It's always used as a tool to just say, are you saved? It says, you know, you better walk in the light as he is in the light. And they're, they're harsh. And they go to other passages where it says, if you practice sin, you know, the truth's not in you. Which that's true. If you're living in habitual sin, you better check yourself. You better confess and get right with God because you might not be right with God. But I don't think this book is for people to be basically checking people's salvation. And I think as we read it more closely, we actually see the grace that's in it, the forgiveness that's in it, and how much it actually lines up with the gospel that Paul teaches in all his letters. And I wanted to show us this because no matter where we're at, what John is talking about, 
is that there's forgiveness for those who confess their sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only to forgive our slate, all of our sin nailed to the cross, our record of debt was paid by Jesus himself. God the Father was angry toward our sin, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, the satisfaction of God's wrath for us. So no matter what sin you're thinking about now, have dealt with this year, it is actually paid for if you've confessed it to God and are trusting in our Lord Jesus because he satisfies it fully on the cross. And the reason why I get so fired up by this because I deal with so much guilt and shame, just the way that I grew up, so much baggage I have, and the grace and the kindness that I've experienced from our Lord. I was just a stupid little ghetto kid. And he's been so gracious to me, so kind to me. And he's actually not only just forgiving me, but he's actually changing me. When I tell Lydia of my story and I tell other people of just things that I grew up with, they go, wow, you don't, I don't think you're telling the truth. It almost seems like a lie because of how much God has actually cleansed me from my sin. And my family is just a wreck at times. And the past that we've had, but it's so cool the statistics were against us, and our family is such a testament to God's grace and kindness that he not only forgives, but he actually cleanses the stains out of us. By the blood of Jesus being poured and sprinkled on us, he cleanses the deepest, darkest stains in us. Isn't that good? And so no matter where you're at, this book is not meant to hit you over the head and say, be better. This book is here to remind you. He's saying, little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He does not want any of us to sin. And he's not trying to give us a license to free, for freedom to sin. But he again reminds us, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so why did John write this letter? So that we may have fellowship with the Father and the Son and with his people. And in that fellowship, we may experience complete joy. And I know some of you guys with joy may be a little self-helpy. I'm going to contradict you a little bit. But you guys would say, you know, oh, happiness is what's happening in your life. And joy is not based on your circumstances. Do you guys say that? Or have you heard that? Okay. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, you're not going to say you said it. If I'm calling you out, you're dumb. And you're like, oh, yeah. No, I was kidding. But, um, you know, you hear that all the time. Happiness is what's happening to you. Joy is not based on your circumstances. I don't know about you, but this sounds pretty circumstantial. You know, it sounds like it's based on some circumstances. It's just eternal circumstances and who we are in God's eyes. And so joy is not based on no circumstance. Joy is based on who we are in God and the freedom and the forgiveness and the joy that's set up for us, the hope that's set up for us in eternal life. That's the best circumstance. So no matter what we're going through here in this life, the bigger circumstance should give us joy. And the joy, this complete joy, is only found in the circumstance that we are God's kids, that we are God's son or daughter, that we are forgiven and cleansed, and that we can have 
true fellowship with one another, not scared of who we are or what we've done because we're fully granted forgiveness by our king. Make sense? And so he's writing this to give us complete joy, and that complete joy only comes in our eternal circumstance of us being sons and daughters of our Lord Jesus, of the Father. And he's writing this to us so that we may not sin. So this year, let us refocus. Let us get back to what we were supposed to be doing, what God calls us to do. Not because that's what gets us saved, but because he's called us to do that. And he's given us the ability and the means to do that. And let us make some New Year's resolutions to help us. You know, maybe, you know, trying to minimize your screen time. Maybe stop watching so much news. Maybe cut out Instagram, cut out Facebook, cut out Twitter. Try it. You know, see what happens. You might like it. You might mess around and have fun. What are you going to set up to help you walk in the light as he is in the light? Let us refocus. Let us be motivated. Let us be encouraged by the gospel. So as we partake of communion, I love communion. Every week we take it, and I love that about this church. This reminds us that no matter what we've done, we have an advocate. We have somebody that's fought for us. Through the person and work of Jesus, we have full forgiveness through his blood, through his body being broken. So let us partake of his body and remember that this is not only a thing we do in remembrance, but it's actually something that sustains us. Just like food to the body sustains us and gives us what we need, that's what the body of our Lord does to us. Let's partake of the body. And as we get ready to take the cup, which symbolizes in the blood of our Lord Jesus, let us remember that this blood was spilt out for us to cleanse us of all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, to wipe out those deep, dark stains that nothing else could get out except the blood. And let us remember that this partaking of the blood is also a means of grace. You know, in 1 Peter chapter Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, For the sprinkling of his blood. It's a constant thing that our Lord, the Holy Spirit, sprinkles Jesus' blood on us continually throughout our life for sanctification. It's a huge blessing, and it's a great picture that no matter where you're at, that blood is sprinkled on you. And this is a means of grace to remind us what he's done for us and what he's even doing for us now by cleansing us with his blood. Let's partake. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm extremely thankful for just your wisdom in all of the universe. For your wisdom and your plan of redemption to save a people for your possession. That there is no other way that you thought best but to send your son to live the perfect life and to die in our place. And that would be the only thing that can fully satisfy your justice, your wrath. And in so doing, the righteous one, Jesus, actually makes us righteous. 
He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your wisdom in, in that. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience to your Father. That even in the garden, when you were looked like you were giving up, and you said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, you were obedient and you said, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping him and aiding him and also for opening our eyes, making that thing realized in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Please be with us. Please fill us. Please encourage us. And just open our eyes to certain areas that we're blind to and help us to repent and confess them to you and also to others. And in so doing that, we would find grace and the forgiveness to be able to get up and walk in that forgiveness. Thank you, Triune God. We praise things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.